blessing our friends at Bracknell. A little bit of background helps to create the scene for you. Recently, Malcolm Case, who's been working full-time with Ben for some time now in the church at Bracknell. Uh, ben Davis is better known to you than Malcolm, but by the end of the evening you'll feel you know Malcolm as well. Some of your young people will know Malcolm from uh, New Generation and uh, also Canberra, or just New Generation? Canberra as well. And it's been tremendous to get to know Malcolm. But more recently he's been up to Korea, to Yongi Cho's church. I'm sure we're all aware of something of the amazing growth and blessing in that church. And I know a number of people who've been there and come back very stimulated. But I believe that God's done something rather particular, not just in uh, exciting uh, Malcolm with what he saw, but in an impartation of something which has now overflowed into the church at Bracknell to such a degree that I've preached there twice in recent weeks, um, just a fortnight between my two recent visits. I would say the church has been radically changed with a wonderful prayer emphasis, with people being saved week by week. Uh, I preached there a couple of weeks ago. I didn't preach a gospel message, uh, nor did I even give a kind of gospel twist at the end. Uh, nevertheless, a couple got saved anyway, uh, because God is, I believe, so powerfully moving with them. There's a, a strong emphasis of prayer there, which perhaps we'll share a little bit more about later on. I don't want to take away uh, from what Malcolm's going to say, but just to commend him to you with the utmost uh, urgency. We said to you, come and be with us tonight because, well, we felt it's so important that we hear what God is saying. And not just that sense of a human arrangement, but deeply in my heart, the sense that God is bringing another wave of blessing. Some of you have just been out to Frankfurt and have come back with a very real sense of the presence of God with you and upon you, and that's been thrilling to hear about. And it's just like another tributary, another wave of blessing coming. And God, I believe, is working. Our own elders' prayer meetings here have been transformed of late just by uh, second-hand reports of what's happening at Bracknell. And we've been feeling the impact of that just by giving more room to God and being stirred up more in prayer and faith. So I, I believe God's going to change us tonight. And I would say to you individually, cry out in your heart while, while Malcolm's speaking to us, Lord, don't leave me. Because you can read a book, you can hear a report, and you can go away saying, well, that was interesting. Or you can be mightily changed. And I believe that's what God wants, that we should be mightily changed. So without any further ado, Malcolm, over to you. It's lovely to be with you. So pleased that many of you have come out tonight uh, to hear. I do believe the Spirit of God is on me, and uh, you are able to be changed tonight uh, in your prayer life. And as a consequence, you will never be able to walk your street again without thinking or praying for your neighbors. You'll never be able to take responsibility again without having that burden, and such a lovely burden it is to pray for those for whom you have responsibility. And God can do that tonight for you. For if he did it to me, then he can do it for anyone here and everyone here. 
and do it all tonight. Now, what I'm going to do tonight is just share my testimony. I can't cover all. I will be factual. I will be emotional because the Spirit of God is on me. Uh, I will be uh, powerful, I believe, in what I say to you. And I will be giving you just an idea of what God has done for me and also how he's affected the church at Bracknell. But I'll just tell you a little bit how I got to Korea in case any of you are covetous or jealous. <laughs> and then I'll just give you some detail about the church. It won't be all the detail about the church. You'll either have to pray that you can go yourself or read some more books. But I will give you some detail just so you can catch the vision of what is going on out there. So I'll share about the trip, give you some details. You can watch some of the CVG video, which is a little bit out of date, but I suppose when the church has grown at such a rate, everything is out of date, and uh, they have a job catching up. So I will share that, and then I'll talk at the end about what God has done for me personally. It was one of our neighborhood group leaders that came to me and said in June, would you like to go to Korea? I didn't know whether he was offering me a one-way ticket uh, or whether he hoped that he was going to come with me. He's a man who travels. He's not here tonight, is he? Jeff, not? Because he did say he works in London. He might be able to get down. I would have loved him to be here. Uh, but he's a man. He was a big man and a man of big vision. And uh, he is able to travel. Uh, he's a consultant for a computer firm. And he's able to travel. He goes out to Tokyo now and again. In February, he had the opportunity to pop into Seoul, South Korea, to see the biggest church in the world, the Uido Full Gospel Church in Seoul. And he said, come with me. I'm going. We'll be able to drop off. He'd had a tax rebate. He'd folded, folded a business up two or three years ago, and he just had a tax rebate, and he wanted to spend it on me, which is amazing, right? I feel ever so humbled by it. And uh, I'm just pleased for, for God's sake and for also for Jeff Knott's sake that his, his faith and his vision is bearing fruit. I want to encourage you all, have vision for your leaders. Bless them because some of you may not be able to bring through what God has said. You may not have the platform. You may not have the natural ability. All right? God will give it to you, can give it to you. But if you can bless those people who can or do have the gift of the gab, then you try and bless them. But what happened when he said, come, we were going to stay uh, for a week. He was just going to stay for two days. And it happened to start the second week of the Downs. I went to the first week of the Downs. So on the Thursday of the second week of the Downs, I left Gatwick with Jeff Knott to go to Korea to visit the largest church in the world. As at August 87, the membership was 526,601 members, give or take a few hundred thousand. Right. I had been preaching from Ephesians 6 uh, prior to my visit about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. And I felt that God had prepared me in some way for what I was about to see and experience. But uh, somehow I knew when I was preaching there was a dimension that I hadn't caught, of, uh, caught hold of. And we went there 21 hours, travel. We started Thursday morning, arrived there Friday evening. South Korea has a population of about 40 million people, so it's not overpopulated. It's a lovely land. Seoul, the capital, has a population of 8 million. So that means in Seoul itself, 1 in 16 people must have some association or involvement with the church. 
It's difficult to get away from. And uh, I went there to a divided country, the communist north. is not far from Prayer Mountain. I'll share about that a bit later. We stayed in a room in the education block in Seoul. They have three main buildings there uh, on Yoido Island. Uh, they have the main sanctuary, the main building, which also uh, includes about 17 different and smaller chapels in it. And then also they have an education block, which they give over to training and also to pastoral um, counseling and to the pastors. And they have a mission block on which uh, CGI, Church Growth International, that's uh, Yonggi Cho's Church Growth Ministry, is based. And they also have room there for quite a few more elders and pastors and other ministries. We stayed there. We arrived there Friday night. Jeff was very excited. He said, let's get there Friday night. He said, because we'll be able to catch their all-night prayer meeting. <laughs> right? Now, after 21 hours of travel, all right, you don't fancy an all-night prayer meeting. Uh, how it, as it was, we managed to catch a few hours, and, and what I caught then started to change me, and I'll come back to that later on. We did go to the prayer meeting, and God did move. Let me just share about the history and the growth of this church. In 1958, after the Korean War, Paul Yonggi Cho, just an Assemblies of God Bible School graduate, started a ministry... Uh, and he had five people with him in a tent. That was the beginning in 1958. It was a split country. Families were divided between Communist North and the Free South. There were people injured, lives and limbs broken. There was desolation, and there was TB rife in the country. What he started to do, he started to pray all day and all night. His mother-in-law prayed all day, and he prayed all all night. And then one day, they felt that God, they broke through to God, and God moved mightily upon them. And there were healings, and there was salvation, and people came to see what happened. When the people came and joined them, they became disciplined themselves to pray. And their prayer life grew, and the church grew, and they have never gone back to passive prayer. And I'll explain more what I mean by that again a little later. But they never went back to passive prayer. They are fervent until they feel that they have broken through in God's presence or that they have broken through in their spirit, in their prayers. So they started to pray. Then he decided, he was told by God to prepare leaders, those with potential. And God said to him, don't worry about factions. Don't worry about training men and men leaving. You just train them and train them and train them. And uh, then he developed home groups. And the home cells that he started, he started with about 30 home cells. There are now 50,000 home cells in Seoul and around that area. And he started to develop the home groups. And it was based around prayer. There was 20 minutes of teaching, but about 40 minutes of prayer. And I'll just tell you how they do it. What happens is that you sit in a... Well, they don't sit in a circle. They all sit face in the front. Or they sit on the floor. And they go around each person, and then they say, right, what's your individual need? And they say, this is my individual need. And they share it, and then everybody prays together for that person. And then maybe the person will ring a bell to stop them. Right? It's amazing. We work hard to get people praying here. Over there, they work hard to stop them praying. Right? They stop them, and then they move right the way around the group, and then they go around the group again asking for people to bring a community need. 
So what are they encouraged to be, all right, in the nicest possible way, is nosy, all right? They're encouraged in their cell groups to be nosy. They are expected to know their neighbors and all those people who live on the same block or the same street as them. They're encouraged to take a notebook and write down people's names. You know what a difference it makes to you if somebody rem remembers your name and you just feel warmer to them and you open up a little bit to them. And that's what happens. Neighbors who don't know God, you go and call them by name, they start sharing some of their life with you and they share a need. Oh, somebody's sick. So you say, listen, we'll pray for that in our home cell. They say, what's a home cell? You say, come and find out. All right? And you invite them along. And uh, they have open cell groups. So people are invited in. They reckon after three or four visits, people are born again of the Spirit of God and added to the church. So that's what they do. Nosy evangelism. Find the sick and pray for them. Find the need and pray until you get an answer. And then, when you get an answer, go back to the people. Or go back and give them a report. Or go back and find out whether their life's been changed, whether the sick have been healed or not. And they, God said to them, Give, and you will receive 100-fold. Their leaders of the cell groups are expected to visit their members every week. Everyone in their cell group is to be visited. We have started this at Bracknell. I chickened out, I said once a month, all right? Once a month. But actually, they're so committed. I think we've moved from an age where the pastor was on call and summoned, uh, just like the doctors are, they have to come. I think we've moved from that, and I think that's good. But I do believe that we, if we're in leadership, just should move towards the homes of those people that we are responsible for. Otherwise, you find that a week becomes two weeks, becomes three weeks, becomes four weeks, and the relationship cools. And you miss them at one meeting, at two meeting, two meetings, and so on. So we've asked people to be committed to visit, and this is what they do. They visit their group. 90 to 96% of their membership attend their cell groups regularly. I said to one of the men, a fellow called Pastor Kim, now everyone's called Kim, uh, Pastor Kim, uh, I said, what happens to those who don't attend? He says, well, we just pray for them. He says, they soon attend. He says, we pray for them, we visit them. 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 We don't give up on any of them. We just keep going, keep loving them, keep praying, and keep visiting. The cell groups are various. They have cell groups for men, for women, mixed groups, lawyers' groups, groups in factories. They're basically geographical. Most of them meet on Friday mornings. Uh, nearly everyone is a shopkeeper or owns their own little business somehow. Or men who work in factories try and alter their lunch hours so they can go and have an hour and a half off in the morning and they make up the time, such as their witness, that they're allowed to do that. Some obviously can't meet uh, during the day, so they have cell groups that meet in the evening, but mostly they meet Friday morning. The size of the groups are 14 to 18 people, and uh, Pastor Kim told me, it is law, it is law, he said, that at 20 they subdivide. Uh, Pastor Cho says, it is law. All right, whether they like it or not, at 20 they subdivide. Have you ever thought what it's like being in that church for the last 14 years when it has grown by half a million? All right, how many changes they will have had to go through? So often, and we've said this to our own people, we must be, have a right spirit that we can accept change. 
we so easily put a, a ceiling on what God will do, right? Because we want to remain in our huddles, right? Or our groups. We don't want change. And we need to be people who are flexible because when the fish come in, the net breaks, right? And you have to make a bigger net or you have to change the net. And praise God, right? God will do that amongst us and do it amongst you. God will do it. So people are flexible, right? No one can teach until they are trained. No one can teach in their groups unless they're trained. So to be trained, first of all, you have to become a deacon or a deaconess. Remember, there are five major religions, animism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Shamanism, uh, and Christianity. Now Christianity has 25% of the country, whereas about 20 years ago it was naught or 1%, something like that. Now such a phenomenal growth. And it's not just in Seoul, right the way throughout South Korea. There are many fellowships of 30,000 and 40,000 and so on. So you have to be trained. The qualifications to be a deacon or a deaconess for four years, you must attend two meetings per week, the cell meeting and a Sunday meeting. And uh, you also must attend a Bible school. And all this time you are expected to serve. And the way that they serve, they're there on call to be used for uh, just the, the drab sort of jobs, we might say. But they have this special duty where you get to put on a yellow hat and a yellow sash that says hallelujah in Korean. And uh, you get once every few months to serve by getting up and being at the church at half past five in the morning and working there till half past ten at night time. And your job is to make sure all the buses come in the right place, to whistle the people across the road and to make sure nobody gets knocked over in the rush or the crush and all the traffic can move smoothly. So what happens? They serve willingly and they're expected to do this. And then after all the way through this, if you want to be a cell group teacher, you need one more year of Bible school. So to be a deacon or deaconess, four years. To be a cell group teacher, you have to go for five years because they need to get you out of any kind of root of uh, Confucianism or Buddhism. That's why they won't let people teach quickly and easily. That's a good lesson. I think sometimes we let people go too quickly, although I'm sure in the early days he had to let people go because he needed leaders. But sometimes I think we assume on people, well, a Christian country. Well, I don't think we are. I think we're a humanistic country. But um, we let people say, well, they should have an idea. Maybe they don't have an idea. And we let them move too quickly. To be a pastor, you need three more years of Bible study plus one more year of pastoral study. So that means nine years of training. There aren't many young pastors out in Korea. All right? And to be an elder... Now, their elders are all laymen, right? They give their expertise to the 72 different ministries that they have. There are 72 lay elders, and they're men of, of reputation, of ability. And lots of these different areas, their mission work, the work with men, the work with ladies, youth counseling, finance, music, the lawyers group, all these different ministries, they have an elder, a lay elder who heads it up. Thank you very much. And... Um, so, to be an elder, though, you need four more years. 
13 years you will have trained and served and trained and served before you become or even can be considered as an elder. And the pastor came, opened up his book and showed me all the applications that they had for people to become cell group leaders. And some of them just hadn't come up to the mark. So he said, we just tell them, I'm sorry, you're not up to the mark that we have set. You cannot be a cell group leader. You cannot be a teacher. You have not attended regularly enough. And we have hundreds of other people who have. All right? And we feel that they're the people that need to be teaching because they lead by example. Good stuff, eh? Phew. They have 427 senior pastors. Let's have a look at one of the acetates and see where we go. Right, now, the top, I'm not going to, well, I won't bore you with these details. They're fascinating. But I'm not going to spend too much time on these. But you can see the growth. Now, in Korea, Paul Yonggi Cho uses ladies as pastors. But they cannot be ordained pastors, right? The men are the ones who are ordained pastors. Um, if you'll see all of the CVG video, which you won't be seeing tonight, you won't be seeing all of it, uh, he makes a comment about that later on in the video, why he worked with ladies. It was because the men were lazy in the beginning, right? And the men wouldn't do it, so he used the ladies. And now you'll find that the, the men are catching up, right? Isn't that true of history? Right, the men are catching up. Now you can see the growth, 443. These are senior men, senior women uh, that God is using. Now let's have a look at the home cell unit. Paul Youngy Cho at the top. Then they have pastoral care. And then you'll see 21 district leaders. I'll show you a map of what the districts are in a second. And then 376 sub-district leaders. Let me just show you what that means. There they've divided Seoul up. You can see the River Han going through and the island on which the church is. And they've divided Seoul up into 21 districts. Subdivided it. So, there you are. You are a district leader. And then you have sub-district leaders. So they are subdivided. And then you have, they're all pastors and full-time men. And then the section leaders are lay volunteers, so are the home cell unit leaders, and so are the assistant home cell unit leaders. And that number was 520,000. Of course, they've got more now. So there's some idea of figures and numbers. Amazing. Youth P, they have, the young people have their own cells. They don't meet at church midweek or anything like that. They have their own cell groups. So youth pastors might look after about 10 youth cells. And that's the way they meet. On the all night of prayer, the young people meet together and pray. Uh, they have their own prayer night. While lots of the other chapels are taken up with people who are joining in uh, with, the other, with the main prayer time. The youth have their own. Baptism is compulsory. You cannot be a member of the church unless you get baptised. And it is amazing for the size of the church that they still don't have a heater for their baptistry. Right? So they can only baptize people from May to September when it's reasonably warm. And what they do, they give you a day on which you are to get baptized. And they have two days per month which they give over completely for baptisms. So it's like having a dental appointment. You are given a, a time, and if you can manage it, good. If you can't, then it can be changed. 
But you're given a time when you'll be baptized by your local pastor in your cell group. Uh, hopefully, might try and be there or your friends to see it. So that just goes on for two days. I don't think one person does it all. I think they swap over uh, quite frequently. Let's have a look at the growth of the membership of this church. Now, you may not see all the numbers, but let me just explain it to you. Uh, Terry had a look at these figures a fortnight ago, and he made this amazing comment, the first 19,000 is the hardest. All right? <laughs> Once you get through, right, on this 19,000, then you're away. All right? Amazing. It's acceleration all the way from then on. What is interesting, at this time, Prayer Mountain Sanctuary was built, and there was a place where the people could go and pray non-stop, continuously, uh, on Prayer Mountain. And that's what's happened to their church. It's based, the man said, on prayer, on good leadership, and the power of the Holy Spirit and evangelistic cell groups. That was their core for blessing. You can see, obviously, in 14 years then, from 1973, when they had about 20,000, to 1987, when they had 520,000, there has been half a million people added to the church, swept into the kingdom, radically born again, turning their back on other religions and turning their face towards God. And many of them quickly saying, I want to be a leader, I want to know more, and entering into their training programs. 14 years, half a million growth. Amazing. Prayer Mountain, I've just mentioned, is not a mountain at all. It's a hill. As I was driving towards the place, or being driven, I was looking out for this hill, uh, this, this massive place, because there's quite a few of mountains in sharp relief. If you remember, or some of you may remember, I don't, the Korean War, it was all about hills taking hills, Hill 425, Hill 63, where the Americans fought for hill after hill. And you go 30 miles north of Seoul, and you go into this kind of hilly area, and you see on top of all of these hills, still, there are military posts, and you are not far there from the North Korean border. It was bought as a Christian cemetery, right? Because all the other cemeteries were Buddhist. Right? It was bought so the Christians could be buried. Right? Well, they were buried them. Right? I don't know what Noel Fellows says. He thinks, he says, here, the Christians, he says, we don't bury them, we stand them up in our pews. Right? <laughs> but anyway, what happened? What happens is that, right, they bought this land. Now, there were building problems as Yonggi Cho was trying to get this building built. It's the building that you will see on the video. Inflation. All right, interest rates went up, and he was depressed, and he was sitting in the middle of this half-completed building, and he heard that some of his men were going up to this place to pray, this plot of land that they bought. And then from that moment, more and more went up, and he joined them, and they started to pray there. And now there is a 10,000-seater sanctuary there in which they have conventions and their prayer meetings, and they have these conventions weekly. There are hostels there, 
there's a mission hostel where you can go in and get a bunk for the night. Most of the people that go up don't bother. I don't know whether it's too expensive for them. They just take up a mattress or take up a carpet and where they've had their meeting, they just kind of lay down uh, their mat and they sleep there until in the morning they're woken at half past five for the next meeting at six o'clock and they just wash and get ready and then they're ready again. Or you find this kind of concrete floor place just covered with some kind of sheeting and it uh, has a roof over, a plastic roof. And everybody just pours in there and there's mattresses and uh, sleeping bags and people just sleep there. Families, husbands, wives, aunties, uncles, your grandmother, everybody goes in there and everyone sleeps together. And uh, these amazing places. You go up there, there can be up to 29,000 people on Prayer Mountain at any one time. The minimum they have at any time, they believe, is three or 4,000 people there that are praying. And they pray for the nation. I've never known such a fervent spirit in, for people praying for their nation. Uh, they love their nation. It is a divided country, right? They want to see their, their nation united. But more than that, they want to see God move mightily on their nation and bless them. So you get a bus from Seoul from the church. They run every hour. They're free. And uh, you have to queue up. I was led to it the first time, very graciously, by one of the secretaries, and I managed to get in on the queue. But when I went just as a kind of, uh, just an ordinary visitor, I had to fight with the rest of them to get on the bus. 42-seater, you generally don't get less than 70 on it, all right? Cramming on, shoving suitcases in your nose, right? If your mouth's big enough like mine, in your mouth everywhere. They just move on, they plow on. And you're all on there, and just before it's ready to leave, just outside the church, it goes very quiet, and uh, I thought it was the bus driver saying something. I didn't have a clue what he was saying, uh, but there was someone saying something uh, over the, the PA system in the, the bus. And I realized that they were praying. Everyone just went quiet, and they started praying. And they were praying, they praying, Amen. 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 And then it stopped and the, the bus driver turned the key and off he went and I knew why they'd been praying. Right, we shot off, right. We, we shot off. I don't think we ever slowed down, right. And we bombed it to there in about half an hour, right, 30 miles, right, in this ramshackle old bus going around corners and so on. No wonder they need a prayer mountain at the other end. I came off ready to pray for three days or three nights. <laughs> or whatever. But it's amazing that they get there and they, they pray before they leave, right? And they're asking that God would take them up there, that they would be touched and changed by their visit up there. Not by the special place, but by God himself. And they pray for that. I think the, the bus driver had heard about what it was to pray and fast. He thought once you prayed, you could go fast. And I think that's what he felt it was. And off he went. Up on Prayer Mountain, there are 150 grottos, right? It's not Santa Claus. These are little kind of holes uh, pushed into the side, cement blocks, really. They have doors in the front, five foot high, six foot in length, four foot wide. Smelly, damp, and people go in there. You have to kind of queue to get a place there, but people go in there, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray. And they're kind of just pushed into the side of the mountain. So at the back of them, they have an air vent. 
And sometimes as you're walking around the mountain, prayer mountain, you can hear the people praying and hear them crying and you can hear them sobbing. And I, when I was there, and I'll share later on, there was this woman who was just singing a song. She sang two songs for an hour. And as she was singing, the Spirit of God came on me mightily. All she did was sing two old sankey songs for an hour. And the Spirit of God was on her and uh, touched me mightily. And uh, uh, it was just amazing to go around, see them in twos and threes in this place, and to know the intensity and to sense the intensity and their eagerness and their serious heart, right, in praying. That they wanted to be there to pray. They haven't been forced to be there, right? They wanted to be there. There was a situation, or there is a situation, where you may be asked to go or even sent to uh, Prayer Mountain. That is if your neighborhood group is not going very well at all, right? Your cell group, right? Or your youth group, right? And if it wasn't going so well, the pastor might say to you, listen, I feel you should go up to Prayer Mountain for a week and pray it through. Brilliant. Brilliant. What better than putting yourself before God and saying, God, am I a blockage? Who is a blockage? What is happening? Fill me, renew me, restore me. I met a man up there who was one of their pastors. He didn't have many days holiday, but he was given up a week of his holidays to be up there praying and to to know God's will for his life. There are some people that go up there for 40 days and 40 nights praying, but they really need to have that checked out with pastors and with elders. All right? Because otherwise it become a competition. You know, have you done 40 days yet? Oh, no. Well, never mind. All right. And so on. So they really have to check it out that it's the right spirit and the right reason why it is happening. So it is amazing to, to go up there all night, all day. People fasting, people praying. And there are benches down the side of the hillside. And uh, people go on there and they just sit and they pray and they rock and they pray or they lie down or they kneel or they stand. They sing hymns. Uh, They just sing by themselves or they read scripture or they pray and they're praying and the Spirit of God is on the whole place. And you know that God is moving for these people. And you look at them and you think, oh, why God? Why? And God said, it's because they simply pray. And I will simply answer their prayers. That's how straightforward it is with God. And then their meetings. They have seven Sunday meetings. They have three on a Saturday and two on a Wednesday. They have an all-night prayer meeting every night uh, in one of the smaller sanctuaries. But on the Friday night, that's when you have massive numbers in there. Uh, When we went there, the steward spotted us. Jeff had been there a couple of months before, and they recognized him. Amazing. They recognized him and made a fuss of him. Then they showed us these special seats uh, where you can just plug into the machine and get an English interpretation of what is going on. You're woken up on Sunday morning at 6 a.m. because I was right on site by whistles and buses arriving and people arriving. The meetings are 6.30, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock. And the crowds swarm in. They have about 12 or 13 choirs. They have about two or three full orchestras. And it is amazing to see their changeover. I stayed for the 9 o'clock meeting and the 11 o'clock meeting. And the 9 o'clock meeting finished at 20 to 11. And they had to get, and I'll tell you what the numbers are, right? In the main sanctuary, there are 25,000 people. 
In 17 other sanctuaries around the building, there are another 20,000. So there are 45,000 people on site. And then in five satellite churches around Seoul, they have another 30,000. So for every meeting, there are 75,000 people there in attendance. So you can see they've got to get 45,000 people in and out in 20 minutes. Right? It is wonderful to watch. I just sat there. Everyone else was gone. I didn't want to miss it for the world. And what happened was that as they... Well, what's amazing is you come to the end. Yongi Cho, he was there when I was there. He was giving a benediction. Just before the benediction, he obviously asks people if they would just make sure they move quickly and take all their bags with them, all their baggage. And the interpreter, he was well away. He was saying, now the Reverend Cho is asking everybody to remove their garbage. And everyone... Uh, I think he meant baggage. But anyway, he... I remove my baggage and garbage and all sorts. And what happens? The people move out after the benediction. They move out quickly. And when they get past a certain line, the side doors open. And it is like a swarm of people coming in. And they run in, right? They run in. And they run to get to the front seats, right? And it isn't. I don't believe it's just so that they can see the man and be close and they don't have to watch a video because once they get there, they don't sit and say, whew, made it, right? And start chatting. They sit and they start praying and they start asking God to touch them and to touch the meeting and to change the lives and to change the nation and to change other situations. There is an intensity, right, that is amazing to see. They run, they've got sharp elbows, right? They will push each other. They don't mind crowds. They love crowds. They'll fit nine on a pew that we would only fit five on, right? They just cram on and they want to be there and they don't mind pushing and squabbling and all sorts of things to get to the front and they get there and there's an intensity about it. They get there early. They are eager. They're earnest. They're expectant and when they're called to do things, they are explosive by the power of the Spirit of God. It is amazing to see it. Let's have a look at just... And all of this in a meeting that we would say was extremely formal. Extremely formal. Over-organized. He is asked, why, Yongi Cho, are you the only one who prophesies or has words of knowledge? And he says, it's because I'm the only one who's got the mic. He says, I'm the only one that the video is on. Right? They can't do anything else. What a problem to have. You can see the numbers of the meetings there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You'll notice down here, the numbers, Yonggi Cho, he preached at meetings 2, 3, and 4. That's 9, 11, and 1 o'clock. And then at 5 and 6, those meetings, they had a video of his sermon. And still 75,000 come to listen to a video. He was asked, why don't you preach a different sermon? He said, if I preached a different sermon, the people would not go home. <laughs> so enthusiastic and so keen and so thirsty they are to learn more and to know God. I went to a Wednesday meeting. He preached for an hour and a half. He had a wonderful rapport and relationship with the people. They were laughing. They were crying. When he started saying big things, they were all with him. Uh, they were on the front foot. They were saying, oh yes, amen, amen, amen. They were with him as he went. You'll see some of these things that are amazing uh, about their order of service. They all pray when they get in there. Uh, a senior pastor leads. He kind of leads the meeting. An elder gets there and he prays. All right? You see this? There's all the elders. Elder Lee, Elder No. 
That's a good one. Elder No, Elder Lee, Elder Young, Elder Young, Elder Na, Elder Lee. All right, quite a few No's among their eldership. All right, however. And uh, you have them all. Amazing. Uh, what happens is he prays very similar prayer right the way through. They don't, it's not word for word, but they thank God for Yongi Cho. They thank God for their leaders. They thank God for what he's doing amongst them. They honor their leaders and their elders and their deacons. And then they thank God for their nation, ask God to move on their nation. They give glory to God. Uh, they ask God to speak to them today. They pray for the Olympics as they're going there next year. They say, Lord, don't take the Olympics away from us. Bring the people here that they might know the power of God in their lives. And they're just thirsty for people to go there because they know the power of God is upon them. And they pray. And when they stand up to pray, you will see it's like a mighty torrent, right, as they pray together. It's like a waterfall. And they have to use a bell to stop them praying. They pray and then they ring a bell and everyone just stops and then they move on to the next thing. And all the way through the preaching, there are the amens, the amens. And he, at the end, makes an appeal. He has words of knowledge and they all respond and say, Amen. When he says, right, God's going to heal the people with bad shoulders, they all get up and go, Amen. All those people with bad shoulders stand up. And all those with toothache, they all go, Amen. All right? And they believe that God is healing them and doing things for them. And then at the end, they have the offering. Fifty deacons and deaconesses taking the offering. A senior deacon receives it, and then Yongi Cho prays over it, and then it's all poured into a skip and wheeled away. Amazing, right? Your offering cards are like that. They have a space on the front, so the amount that you give can be written down. And then that is left for you in your cell group pigeonhole, and anybody can look at it. Blesses us English, doesn't it? <laughs> eh? Wonderful. They're not ashamed of their giving. They will be totally accountable and open about their giving. And we say, why is God blessing them? Right? It's amazing. Now, we're going to watch the acetate. We're just going to watch it for about 10 minutes, quarter of an hour. Now, let me just, sorry, you're going to watch the video. Right? <laughs> right? I'll do my bunny rabbits for you later on. <laughs> going to watch the, going to watch the video. Uh, it's a few years out of date. You'll see the old sanctuary. The sanctuary they have now is, uh, well, a third again bigger, a uh, massive size of what they have. You'll see the excitement and the fervor. You'll see the way they meet. Uh, you'll see the way they sing together, and you'll hear them praying. I feel it's sad. On the praying, you see a lot of the, the visitors praying, all right, rather than seeing the Koreans themselves praying, although you will get glimpses of that. And there's one amazing comment by one of the ladies. says, it is, these people are prepared to invest time. They're prepared uh, to invest time in prayer. They desire to be there to pray, to labor in prayer. So we'll s see some of it. And then if you're directing, I'll give you a shout when I'd like you to stop it. You can get this video, right? It is available from CVG if you want to have a, a full showing of it. It runs for about half an hour. We'll just watch about 10 minutes, quarter of an hour of it.
Let me just share what happened to me as I went into that first meeting. Went there, supposed to start at 10 o'clock, and Jeff and I went in after a tiring journey. Went in about quarter to two. It was quiet on the outside. Went in and entered a place that was full, 25,000 people there that were praying. Found a place, sat down, and the Spirit of God started to move on me. I started to cry as I saw all of these people there praying, praying and praying. And I'd seen or I'd heard of people who had been there before. Some people had come back and said, well, it's cultural. And I said, God, is it cultural? He says, no, it's scriptural. He said, how can a church of half a million people be cultural? And uh, I said, God, do it in England, please. I said, please, God, do it in England. I said, do such a work in England, in my country, God. Please do it. And I looked down and I saw all these simple people. I looked at them and I thought, oh, yes, so culturally simple. So unsophisticated. And yet I heard them praying and someone just had to say, let's pray for the nation. And they'd all stand together and they would let out such a shout for God. And they'd shout out, Chio, Chio, which means, oh, Lord. Oh Lord, and then they just launch out into praying and they pray for the nation and they would pray and they would pray and they would pray and they would pray and someone had to ring the bell to stop them. I was just touched by God and I knew that God was taking me there for a reason. I felt so blessed by God. I knew that God was going to was show me something that was attainable. It wasn't cultural. It was attainable. It was attainable in my life, attainable in fellowships here in England. And I, I just started to cry, I started to sob. I remember coming here in, in 1983 in October and sitting over there. It was my first visit down here. Henry Tower, who I'd met up in the northeast, had invited me down. I'd chosen the weekend to come down. And it happened to be the weekend when there was a leaders' day here. Uh, and there was about 400 men here praying. And I'd had vision up in the northeast, but I'd seen something that was attainable when I came down. I saw all these men worshipping together and the Spirit of God came on me and I started to cry. I was sat over there and the same thing happened. Later on during that time, I met Ben. That wasn't why I started to cry. All right? But I met Ben. That was the first time I met Ben. All right? First time I met Ben. It was a significant day. But God showed me that there were men right, who would meet together in that sort of number and be free in the Spirit of God. And I started to sob. And when I was out into Korea, I just felt that God had just shown his covenant grace to me that I, Malcolm Kays, would be able to be taken all the way across the world to see something. that I don't know whether I'd hoped for it, but I knew there was something more. I knew there was something more that we needed to be into. And I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed. And then... On the Monday, Jeff had left me, the guy that went with me, and I went up to Prayer Mountain. And I went out on the Prayer Mountain, and I sat down on one of the benches, and this woman was singing in the background, I hear thy welcome voice, I am coming, Lord, coming now to thee. And she sang this song. She sang it for an hour. And she just sang it, and sang it, and sang it. And she sang it, and sang it. And I was there, and God... lead worship a little bit I like to be outstanding because I'm an ex-PE teacher I like to be successful at some sports and so on and God said to me he said 
I want you to be outstanding in praying. I said, no, God. I said, no. I said, it's too costly. It's too costly to pray. And I knew that God had said to me for years, if you get to grips with your prayer life, I'll get to grips with you. And I knew that God was speaking to me. And I, I knew that for years I'd prayed. Oh, I'd had my good times praying, right? I'd had my legalistic times praying. I'd prayed when there'd be no life there. I'd had my times not under the law, but under grace when I hadn't prayed at all. And I'd gone through times like that as well. But I knew that God wanted to grip my prayer life. And God said to me, Malcolm, he said, I want you to be outstanding in prayer. I said, oh, no, no. I had some kind of natural gifting or something like that in the other things. But with prayer, you don't have a natural gifting, right? Do you? You don't have a natural gifting of prayer. It's a matter of discipline. It's a matter of pressing through. And I was there and I was praying. And God started again to touch me and I was sobbing. In fact, a couple of days later, two ladies came up to me. Couldn't speak a word of English and they started to tell me somehow. Don't understand them. They'd seen me crying. They pointed at me, started talking and doing this. And I just started sobbing. I knew God was dealing with me there on prayer mountain. And all the way around, I could hear people praying. And I could hear this woman singing as well. And God said to me, listen, he said, I want you to take the ceiling off your praying. I want you to pray big prayers. He said, I want you to pray big prayer for Ben. And I want you to pray a big prayer for Morris, who's our other elder. Three of us as elders at Bracknell. And I already prayed big prayers for me. I'd prayed for me. I said, Lord, bless me. I said, keep your hand on me. God had reminded me of Jabez. Now, if you don't know of Jabez, in 1 Chronicles 4, you can read of him. There aren't many kind of real good passages in 1 Chronicles at the beginning because a lot of begetting and a lot of names. But in 1 Chronicles 4, verse 9, uh, let me read this to you. And don't preach it in your places before you invite me. All right. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. This guy had a nickname. You know what it was? Pain. Pain. All right. Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it wouldn't hurt me. And God granted what he asked. And then it goes on into all the other names. Then God said to me, why is that guy outstanding? I said, because he prayed. So what did he pray? Did he pray for others? He said, no, not really. He prayed for himself. And God said, do it. So I prayed. I said, God, enlarge my ministry. Enlarge my borders. I said, touch me, Lord, that I can never go back from this moment. What you have shown me and taken me across the world to see, I want you to root deep in me that I will never be changed. And I started pouring out big prayers for myself. I started taking the ceiling off. I started having uh, faith that God could use me. I started praying big prayers for my wife and my two girls. And then God said to me, pray big prayers for Ben and for Morris. And I thought, oh, oh you know, it would be harder to pray big prayers for other people, isn't it? No, I honor this guy mightily. I thank God for him. He's been a massive blessing to me in my personal life and in any ministry I've got. And he's been ever so gracious and kind and patient with me. And he's gonna, And then when God said, pray for him, I still felt I had a ceiling. Oh, bless me magnificently, but don't bless Ben as much. All right? You know what it's like? And God said, come on, break it. 
And I started praying. I started sobbing. I said, God, I said, bless Ben. I said, give him a massive ministry. Give him a worldwide ministry. Bless Morris. Give him a worldwide ministry. Bless him magnificently. Now, I don't know whether those things will happen, but I do know that God broke something in me. Right? That I've had a ceiling on prayers for myself and a ceiling on prayers for others. And God broke it. And we've found ever since that day that when we meet together, we pray massive prayers for each other. We pray massive prayers for other people that we work with. No ceilings on it. It breaks jealousy. It breaks competition. You can't pray massive prayers for other people and be competitive. And God did it. God did it in me, right the way out there on Prayer Mountain. Praise God. Praise God. He changed me and he touched me. And what happened was that we came back. We came back and uh, came back to England, not intent on, on uh, repeating what I'd seen in Korea. I knew God had touched me. I knew that my prayer life would never be the same again. I'd been kind of caught by a vision for my personal prayer life to be outstanding, and I don't say that in a, in a proud way. I knew the Spirit of God was on me. Others had seen it when I came back. Ben recognized something had happened to me in my preaching, uh, in my leadership. And it wasn't interested in copying. But we had a gift day for our building project. We were trying to raise over £2 million. We had a gift day online. So we prayed for a Saturday and Sunday. We started praying. And, uh, well, what happened? Somebody prayed. Then somebody else topped up the prayer. And then somebody shared something from the Bible. Then somebody gave a vision. And then somebody else topped that vision up. And and we went on with that. And I, I felt generally it was reasonably okay but I just came a sadness in me and God said to me I'm disappointed with this time and I stopped the prayer time and uh, I said I said listen I said I don't think we're praying I said I think we are sharing our cleverness we're here to be praying and all we're doing is really topping things up or sharing things now there's a time for that right there's a time for sharing sharing prophesying but there's a time to pray as well. And I said, come on, let's pray. I said, I feel we've gone back to an old frequency. That's what I felt. I feel God had moved me on to a different one. We weren't praying in the Spirit. And I stopped and I said, come on, let's press through. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus said that to men who he'd had with a big meal down Kidron Valley, up the other side into the Mount of Olives, back down into the Kidron Valley to, the Ma- to Gethsemane. And then he expected them to pray for a few hours with him. And when they couldn't, he went to them and said, come on, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And God showed me that that's to do with prayer, right? We can use it on other things, but sometimes we too flippantly use it on other things. It's to do with, uh, it's to do with service, right? Or it's to do with, with purity in our sex lives. But actually, it's about prayer. And God said to me, the Spirit of God in you, Malcolm, can pray for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, because the Spirit is willing. What is the ceiling? It's the flesh, It's the flesh that's the ceiling. And I said, come on, let's press through. This is what I'd seen in Korea. They were able to break through. They had no ceiling. They just came and they prayed. And they didn't let the flesh win. 
right? And I said, come on, let's press through. I said, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And I felt that God gave me this picture, that when we come to pray, the Holy Spirit puts his foot on the accelerator, but the flesh has got both his hands on the handbrake, right? And we need to give in to the spirit of God, and we need to press through, because after a few minutes you find that your mind starts to wander, right? After a few minutes, your ego says, you've done your five minutes for today, right? It says, you've done enough. And you start getting uncomfortable. You stand up and you walk around or you think, oh, I've done it. And you move on. And what happened? We give up praying soon. We get distracted. We've done enough or we get tired. But when the Spirit is willing, and when that, I realized that, realized I could pray for hours and hours and hours. And I tell you now, all I have to do in the morning is wake up. All right? All I have to do is wake up because I know the Spirit of God in me is willing to pray. It's no drudge to get down and to pray for an hour. Right? Because I know the Spirit of God is willing. What freedom that gives me. What liberty to know that inside of me, the Spirit of God wants to pray and can pray for hours and hours and hours. And I felt so released and I said, come on, we're going to do it. I said, the flesh is weak. I said, let's take our hand off the brake, right? And let the accelerator of the Holy Spirit, let's just move it through. Let's pray in the Spirit. Let's pray in English. Let's pray in tongues. Let's pray fervently. Let's build up our faith. Let the Spirit lead as we do it. Let's humble ourselves. Let's cry out to God. And I encourage the people to share, to cry out together in prayer. So we all stood together and we started to pray. And I encouraged them all to pray together. And I said, when I sensed that it was going quiet, I was going to shout out, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what happened? We did that. We started praying. The Spirit of God came on us mightily. There were people shouting out and saying, oh God, because I said, we're going to ask God to touch us. Just like the woman pressed through the crowd to touch Jesus. And Jesus knew the power had gone from him. Uh, I said, let's do that. Let Jesus know that power has gone from him to Bracknell Baptist Church on this morning. So we pressed through, and we pressed through, and when it started quieting down, I said, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, and we rose again, and we rolled over wave after wave after wave, and God touched us magnificently, and we have never gone back from it, and we are not going back from it, and I am not going back from it. And we just broke through a barrier. And God took us through. Let me just say, the problem is then, for us as leaders, is that we tend to look around, because that's our responsibility, right, to keep an eye on things, and then we too hastily judge what's happening. Because when the Spirit of God moves like that, it can look very, very fleshly indeed, if you know what I mean, in the old parlance, right, that it's not of the Spirit. But what happens? The Holy Spirit overcomes the flesh. The flesh has to follow in behind, Right? And that's when you stand up, that's when you jump, that's when your spirit can say to your soul, Why are you cast down? Hope in God, as the psalmist said. Come on, hope in God. And then you find the Holy Spirit and the flesh move together. And that's when you find people crying or sobbing or, or lying down. And all these sort of things happen. That's when we get the collywobbles think, Oh, it's fleshly, it's fleshly, it looks terribly fleshly. It's like the John Wimber meetings when we went to them and saw people shaking and so on. I looked in and I thought, oh dear me. I thought, what? What's happening? And yet I was touched by God myself and my arms were shaking. And I thought, hey, it must be the way I'm standing, right? 
and, and God said to me, no, believe, it's my spirit upon you. And it looked terribly fleshly. But the spirit of God was on me. And when we move like this, we say, don't judge too quickly. Don't judge too quickly. In fact, it's only for the leaders to judge. The rest of you, just get on praying. You leave it to the elders to keep an eye out. I went up to Beaconsfield a couple of weeks ago to share this with them. And uh, we had a two-hour meeting. I talked to them for an hour. Then we started praying. I encouraged them to press out. And then what happened? I said, come on, let's pray. And I prayed for them. And as I finished praying, one guy jumped straight on the floor and started shouting, Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh, God! And I thought, oh, dear. I thought, <laughs> I thought, oh, dear. It's really fleshly, right? And God said to me, that guy's a leader in prayer. I found out later on that he gets up at quarter past six every morning to pray. Right? I would have so easily judged him. The Spirit of God was on him. Right? And he moved through. He got rid of the ceiling because the Spirit of God is willing to pray. Right? And that's when we we shout out. We cry out. We sob. I have never known, right, really holy silence until we had an all-night of prayer a few weeks ago. And I felt that God invaded us with silence. We had a noisy prayer meeting. We were all praying away. And then it's as if God pressed in with silence. I've never known it like that before. The silence I've known before is when people have had nothing to say. Or when people have been too religious. Or dead. (laughs) But I've never known before a silence that was invaded by God. And brought by God. And pushed in by God. See, Jesus, when he was praying, he sweat, right? As it were, drops of blood. We would have thought, fleshly. It says in Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, he cried with loud cries. We would have thought, over the top. We would. And yet here was a man, the Son of God, filled with his Spirit, talking to his Father, sweating, crying out to God, because He let the Holy Spirit lead him in his prayer life. And he prayed. And we now pray in the Spirit. I don't say it's the only way to pray, but I know now that when I get up and I go down to pray, I know the Spirit of God in me is willing to pray. I have no problems praying. I can pray through a list. I can do without my list, right? But I can pray and I can pray and I can pray and I can pray. And I know the only thing that will stop me is me, right? My flesh. Right? Because the Spirit of God wants to carry on. And we encourage the people to pray like this. And we started praying. So what we did, we gathered people together. And we said, right, let's pray for the nation. So we all stood up and we started praying for the nation together. Right? We said, let's pray for the people on the edge of church. Right? Let's pray for them. Let's pray for neighbors. Let's pray. And a new dimension has come to our church and our prayer life. Right? I think it was Don Smith that gave the expression. Uh, I heard it from someone else, Don. Right? That, that we were on the front foot. Is that right? When he came up, it was, it was as if everyone was on the front foot. And it's wonderful now preaching. You preach and the people are, amen. The people behind you, people in front of you, amen. You get up now for a 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. prayer time, right, in the church. And you, Ben and I thought, more oh, maybe 10, 15. There were 50 and 60 people came in, right? Now, that was amazing for us. We had an all-night of prayer the other day. There were 60, 70 people there at the beginning of it, right? <laughs> Some of them gave into the flesh later on. But at the beginning of it, they were there. 
right? We're having now our regular prayer meetings on Saturday morning between half past seven and half past eight. Over a hundred people coming in. Now you might think, well, we get that anyway. But I tell you, these people are coming in to pray, not to sit around, right? They're coming in to pray. And they all get up there and they're praying together. And we're finding as we're praying, God is speaking to us. God's loosening us. You can't pray in the Spirit and not be touched by God, right? Your emotions are touched. My life's been changed. Ben's life's been changed because we press through in the Spirit into a new dimension of praying. We don't have kind of prophecies or words if we're there to pray. Now, people do get visions and so on, and we will hear some of those, but we as leaders lead it. We find that people come and they'll share things and we say, okay, we might be able to share that. We might not just wait, but we're here to pray, right? Let's pray, and we pray, and we just give different direction as we go through. And we find now that we can pray. We've found, praying for the nation at Bracknell, that no one actually is ever born in Bracknell, if you look at our fellowship, right? Because there's hardly anyone in our church that was born in Bracknell. So we say, let's pray for the nation. Pray for the place that you were born. And as we pray, we light up lights all over the country, right? We hit the country in prayer. I'm praying from, I was born in Liverpool, Right, pray for Liverpool. Needs a lot of prayer. Right, pray for Liverpool. Two weeks ago in our church, a scouser, a Liverpoolian was born again. Amazing. I'm going to believe. Right, it's God. It is God. So we're moving. We're finding God changing us. Leaders need to lead in prayer. That's why you need to be here tonight to hear this. You need to lead in it. You need to give direction to some of the topics. You need to give room to it. You need to watch, but don't judge too quickly. Be in authority. Deal with things that are obviously the flesh, but I'd be careful. I think we have too hastily judged in the past, and I think the Wimber wave kind of came, and I think we've judged, and we felt judged, and it has declined. And I ask that God will touch us again with it mightily in our prayer lives, right? That we'll shake, we'll do whatever it is, but to know the Spirit of God. It looks terribly fleshly, but I think we're so reserved, we just kind of don't press through. All right? Now there are things that we look at and we see counterfeit and all that. But I tell you, we need to be men who, women who pray in the Spirit. And we've found things changing. We cannot pray like we used to pray. Ben now says, Father, we want you to... And he's not about six words into his sentence. And all the church are praying with him. All right? Father, we want you... And everyone's in. Right? Praying. I go home and say, Lord, we ask you'll bless this nation. Please touch this nation. And everybody's in praying. I don't kind of think, wait a minute, it's my turn, right? It's wonderful to have all those men and women praying together, lifting up their voices, some of them crying out with loud cries, some of them just sobbing, some of them quiet, but praying through in the Spirit. And the numbers have increased. Children can come along to our prayer meetings. They are not a distraction anymore. They cannot disturb the way we pray. Right? In Korea, they take the families there. They can't disturb them. They can't do it. Amazing. How do we pray? We give a topic and we say, right, let's all lift our voices together and pray together. Let's press through in the Spirit. Do you want to touch the nation? Then be outstanding in prayer. Right? It's the one thing that you can't really rely on any slight natural ability. It's a matter of discipline. But you need to let the Spirit of God in you have room to pray. He is willing to pray right now. He wants to pray. Some of you have had a long day. 
right? Tired. The Spirit of God in you is willing. The people in Korea, they pray all night on Friday and then go to work on Saturday. They give up their sleep. Yonggi Cho says in his book, when we realize that prayer is important as eating and sleeping and breathing, we will be amazed at the time we find for it. Now we need to be men and women of prayer. Right? God has touched us and changed us. Touch me and change me. And God's going to do the same for you as we pray now. Alright? I'm going to ask you. It's 5 to 11. I'd love to pray for a quarter of an hour. Alright? It's 5 to 10, yeah. That was Korean time. Uh, I tell you, we're going to, to pray for a quarter of an hour. If you need to go, go. But I say, if you can stay, stay. Alright? I'm going to ask you to pray for yourselves. Right? It's good to come and honor God and bless Him. Right? But I tell you, you can honor God right now by asking God to touch you. I want you to press through like the woman pressed through. Right? Shout out to God. Ask God to touch you. If this fervent spirit comes upon you, let it go. Right? No one will be judging you after what I've said. Right? No one is your judge. You ask God to touch you and to change you. And we're going to go pray through. And if I feel it gets quiet, I want to say the spirit is willing. All right? And we're going to press through again. I want you to push through quickly so you feel that you are praying in the Spirit. It might be in tongues. It might be in English. It doesn't matter. The Spirit of God can be on both. All right? And we're going to pray through. And then I'll just give you one or two directions just as we get to the end. I will have to stop you by shouting. All right? I will. It's wonderful. All right? You used to have to stop people by waking them up in the past. All right? Let's stand. Let me pray. As, and then we're all going to pray. Father, I ask that your spirit will come upon us now as we reach out to you. Come, Lord. Come mightily, God, upon us, God. Come and touch us, Lord, by your spirit. Now come and ask God.